Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. Psalm 85. Psalm 85 is a, a psalm of favor. It's a psalm of freedom. It's a psalm of forgiveness. And what makes this uh, psalm particularly sweet is that this favor and this freedom and this forgiveness, they come uh, after a long season of consequence. Uh, they come after a long season of of rebellion and just dealing with the consequences of sin. Uh, Psalm 85 really deals with, was written during the time of Israel's uh, return from Babylonian exile. So uh, we kind of have to put ourselves in that that mindset uh, to kind of understand what's going on. And so uh, Israel, they were taken into captivity. For 70 years, they were in Babylon. And they were in Babylon because uh, they sinned against the Lord. They pursued hard after wickedness, really with everything that they had. And so they ended up in this place because sin has consequences. They ended up in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. They were separated from everything that they knew, from everything that they had worked for, from everything that they loved. And they entered into this time of really just being, uh, you know, in captivity, in bondage. And so this psalm really celebrates uh, their coming home, their being restored. Uh, The restoration process for Israel is, is underway. And the reason that I love this psalm so much is because as God's people, And we find ourselves in those situations, don't we? I find myself in that situation where I have sinned against the Lord, where I'm dealing with the consequences of my sin, and I'm in great need of restoration and forgiveness and favor from the Lord. And that's exactly what's going on. And so this psalm, really, it's a reminder uh, of God's favor of God's freedom, of God's forgiveness in our life, that that he's willing to forgive, that he desires to forgive, that he wants to restore us. And so uh, Psalm 85, man, beautiful psalm. But another cool aspect of this psalm is that it is uh, written for the sons of Korah. Now, we talked about the sons of Korah last week, so I don't want to spend a tremendous amount of time on him. But just as a reminder, the sons of Korah, uh, they were the descendants of Kohath. They were Levites. They were the ones who, man, they walked so close with the Lord. They were in charge of moving the implements of the tabernacle from one place to the next. And the Kohathites, they were in charge of moving the furnishings, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and all these things. And so you think, man, what an honor. They were always there moving the most precious implements of worship in Israel. Well, you guys remember, if you're here last week, there was a great rebellion. The sons of Korah, they led 250 men to rebel against Moses, to rebel against the Lord. And what happened? The ground opened up and swallowed all of them. But the Lord spared the sons of Korah. This great uh, you know, uh, example of God's mercy and grace, how he took their rebellion And he turned it into worship because now we see the sons of Korah all these years later, they have this linked uh, to their past, this rebellion. And now, boy, they're serving the Lord in the temple. What a wonderful thing that is. 
that, that the Lord has taken rebellion and given them an opportunity to serve as a worship leader. And I'll tell you something, that is exactly what God has done in, in my life, in the life of your pastor. He's taken my rebellious, uh, willfully disobedient self, and he's forgiven me. He's given me freedom. He, he's restored and renewed me and, and given me an opportunity to serve him. And that's what the Lord wants to do in your life as well. That's what he's done uh, in the life of the sons of Korah. And so I just thought it was really cool. And it's not by coincidence that this psalm that's all about restoration, uh, returning to the Lord, uh, enjoying uh, what he's done for us, is written to the sons of Korah, whose lives are an example of that restoration. And so, um, yeah, that is a, a really neat aspect of this psalm. So, uh, verse 1 of Psalm 85. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all of their sins, Selah. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. And so, the psalmist opens Psalm 85 as they're returning into the land, really with great gratitude Remembering what the Lord has done for them. Lord, you have given us favor. Uh, Lord, you have, uh, you have uh, brought back the captivity of Jacob. You've brought us freedom. And you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. Man, what a wonderful thing that is that the Lord has done for them. And he's done it for us too. If we're willing to put our trust in what Jesus has done for us, man, favor and forgiveness and, and freedom, they're, they're all wrapped in, tied into that. And so the psalmist opens up with just great gratitude. Lord, thank you for all that you've done, that you've brought us back to the land. And the psalmist says, Lord, you've showed favor to your land. Now, now what does that mean? First of all, what was the land that was being referred to? What was uh, the land that God had shown favor to? And it was the promised land. It was the land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, remember when the children of Israel crossed over, they sent over the spies. Uh, they came back and, and ate of the spies. They were all chickens. They're like, oh man, the giants, they're crazy. They're going to kill us. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. But two of the spies, they're like, man, this place is epic. The, the grapes are the size of, of a human head. It took two men to carry a cluster of grapes. They said, it's an amazing land. As you read descriptions of the promised land in the Old Testament, it, it, it describes it in this way to where like the rain fell in the, the valleys to where you didn't even have to irrigate the, the crops the way that the rain fell on the mountains, pardon me. It was this land where crops would grow and the animals would flourish. It really was an amazing place. And, uh, you know, you think about the, the promised land today. It's always hard when I'm, I'm reading through the scripture, I'm like, oh yeah, the promised land, this lush, like garden-y area. Because you see pictures of the Middle East now, and you're like, that doesn't look much like a garden. So things have changed uh, quite a bit. But it was this lush land of blessing where God's favor was upon it. And uh, it says, Lord, you've been favorable to your land. See, it's interesting to me that the psalmist calls the land God's land. Because it is God's land. Uh, everything is God's. Uh, then and, and now. The things that we possess really belong to the Lord. Uh, the Bible declares that we're stewards over the things that the Lord has given us. That everything we have, our, our houses and our cars and our bank accounts, and they all really belong to the Lord, and we're just to steward those things. 
I like that in my spirit. I can't stand that in my carnal nature. See, my carnal nature is, is grabby and, and is greedy. And I like to say, well, look at my things and what I've done. And, uh, but when we remember that all these things are the Lord's, that he simply blessed us to oversee them and to steward them, it changes my mindset and how I view stuff. See, a lot of our time is spent pursuing stuff and accumulating stuff so that we have things and there's a security. But when we remember that it's all the Lord's anyways... Man, it really changes my mindset. Instead of acquiring more, say, Lord, how can I use these things you put in my care to further your kingdom? Or what would you have me to do with, with your assets? So it is interesting. He says, man, Lord, this is your land that you have blessed. But this blessing to God's people, the blessing of the land in particular, it was given to Israel by God. But it was given to them really uh, with conditions. It was given to them conditionally. Remember uh, back in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, when the nation of Israel, they had made their way through the, the desert, across the Jordan River, into the promised land. And Joshua, he said, we're going to do just what Moses said. And they reviewed the law. They wrote the law out again, and they reviewed it. And half of the people went up against Mount Gerizim. Half the people went up against Mount Ebal. And Joshua read through the blessings and the curses of the law. And if the children walked in obedience, boy, there would be blessing and the rain would fall and the crops would grow and the animals would flourish. And everybody said, "Woo, amen, hear ye, hear ye, we all agree. And then Joshua read all the curses. If you walk in disobedience, if you worship the gods of this land, boy, then the rain will stop and the crops will fail and the animals will die. And they all said, yes, praise the Lord, hear ye, hear ye, we'll walk in obedience, we agree to that. And so... They agreed to this sort of uh, conditional blessing, and then they walked in disobedience. And, and that's really what our story is all about. They, they walked in disobedience and landed themselves in uh, Babylon for, for 70 years. They worshiped idols, and the Lord said, all right, you want idols? I'll give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to let you have all the idols you want. Babylon was like the, the hub for idol worship in that day. And so they were there for 70 years. Uh, but during that time, again, just remembering that, that although it was difficult, although it was hard, the Lord did a work in their hearts. And he does that in our hearts too when we're going through those seasons. Uh, but the whole land was all conditional. Uh, you know, material blessings in our life, they come and go for reasons oftentimes that we might not understand or sometimes that we do understand. But one thing that cannot be stripped from us is the fact that we belong to God. See, for the nation of Israel, the land was conditional. But belonging to God was unconditional. And I love that. That is very encouraging to me. Because it doesn't matter what comes and goes in my life. The Lord is constant. I will always belong to him. You will always belong to him, no matter what. Because there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. If you read Romans chapter 8, not tribulation, not distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, nor depth, nor any created thing can separate us from the love of God. Man, that is good news. And so when we read through this, boy, you know, the blessings of the land, conditional. Belonging to the Lord, unconditional. And that's good for us uh, to remember. So uh, the psalmist starts off and says, Lord, and you, you bless this land. You brought us back. Uh, you brought back the captivity of Jacob. You've given us freedom. Again, after 70 years of exile, they were returned home. 
Now, 70 years is a long time. It really was. A whole, think about the things that have changed in the last 70 years. Man, things have changed. Not entirely for the better either, I might add. But things have changed a lot in 70 years. Think about how different things were 70 years after they showed up in Babylon. And a whole generation really had died and moved on. And many of the people had never even experienced what it was like to step foot in Jerusalem. But after 70 years, they returned home. And I shouldn't have caught anybody off guard, though. It, there, there, was, there was no part of this where it was like, oh, man, we get to go home today. This is fantastic. It's been 70 years. And the Lord, like, the Lord told them in advance, you're going to be here for 70 years. They could have started the stopwatch. 70 years is up. Like, all right, let's go, Lord. We're waiting. We're ready. We're anxious. Uh, the Lord promised them through the prophet Jeremiah that they would go back to uh, the land after 70 years. And I point that out to point uh, this out, that God is faithful, that God keeps his promises. Uh, and, you know, when we're in those places of exile, when we're in those places of dealing with the consequences of our sin, man, it can be so discouraging. But the truth of the matter is, is that even in the midst of that difficult time, they had the promises of the Lord to see them through. No matter where they were, they could say, you know what, this might be difficult, but I know that God is going to see us through because he's promised in 70 years he's going to bring us home. And that's why it's so important for us to remember the promises of God, to know them, to hide them in our hearts. That was like Ebenezer. You guys seen the Christmas carol? It's like chains, like jingling by. I don't know who that was. But, uh, but that's why it's so important for us to hide God's word in our heart, that we might have it, that we might know it, that when we enter into those valleys, those seasons of difficulty, that we say, Lord, I know it's dark now, but I know you're going to see me through. I know that it feels like you're nowhere to be found, but your word declares that you'll never leave me or forsake me. I know it seems like things can never be better, but your word declares you're working all things together for good for those who love you, for those who are called according to your purposes. That's why we do what we do. That's why we go through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter and book by book so that we would hide God's word in our heart. And so uh, after 70 years, just like the Lord told them, they were free from Babylon uh, uh, they were uh, brought back to the promised land, uh, but they were, more importantly uh, than being brought back and freed from the captivity of Babylon, they were freed from the captivity of their sin. Uh, and that's what the psalmist says. He says, uh, you have uh, forgiven uh, the iniquity of your people. You have covered all of their sin. And those words, uh, forgiven and covered, uh, they both have their root in the meaning of being pardoned. Uh, that the crime is forgiven. You've been pardoned. For, for all crimes, there, there's, there's no more punishment due for those crimes because you've been completely pardoned. And I love that because it's not just some uh, sins. It's not just most sins, but all sins were covered. All their sins were forgiven. Uh, and that's a reality for us as well, that the blood of Jesus, it covers, it removes, it deals with all of our sin, past, present, and future. All of our sins have been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. And uh, so the, the psalmist is rejoicing that their sins have been forgiven. But he uses two different words for uh, sin. And, you know, you say, well, maybe he's just being redundant, or maybe it's just because it's Hebrew poetry. Uh, but he says, Lord, you've forgiven us of our iniquities, and you have covered our sins. Why both words being used? Well, when you dive into those words, they actually have different meanings. 
And uh, you guys know what sin means. You could probably parrot it back to me. I hope you guys can parrot it back to me because I say it all the time. Sin is an archery term. It, it, it means when you miss perfection. If I'm aiming for perfect bullseye and I miss, that is a sin. And the Bible says all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. There's nobody who's perfect in this world, not a single person except for Jesus. And that's what it means to sin, that you were aiming for the mark and you missed. Iniquity, on the other hand, has its roots in rebellion, in purposefully walking against God's will, shaking your fist at the Lord and saying, I'm going to do my own thing anyways. I'm going to rebel against the Lord. Now, doesn't that strike you as interesting? Like, if I were God, and we're all happy that I'm not, I, I could understand the part where it's like, all right, son, daughter, you were trying your best. You were aiming for perfection, but you missed. There's no way that we can live a perfect life. And so that I'll forgive. But the part where we shake our fists at the Lord and say, I'm going to do my own thing anyways, and I don't care what you have to say. The part where Christ died for us while we were yet sinning. And that's the part that blows me away. That's grace that he has given us. And that's what the psalmist is rejoicing in. Know this morning that no matter where you've gone or what you've done, no matter what sort of sin you have engaged in, man, there is forgiveness for that sin. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Isn't that good news? That no matter how dastardly your past is, no matter, no matter how ashamed you feel of the things that you've done, man, God's forgiveness is greater than that. And so the natural, you know, kind of next step in our carnal nature is to say, well, if sin abounds, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, well, let's just get on with sinning because we can just claim the blood of Jesus and we can do all these sinful things and not have to worry about any of the, the, the repercussions. Well, Paul dealt with that. You know, should we just keep on sinning that God's grace might abound? Paul said, man, God forbid don't do that. Don't keep on sinning just because it's covered by God's grace. And you might see here this morning and say, yeah, right. You know who, I mean, so many people do that. I do that. We all, we, we get to that point in our life and we say, man, we're between a rock and a hard place. We really want to engage in this thing, but we know it's against God's will. And we can have the tendency to say, oh, you know what? That's covered by God's grace though. Don't do that. Not because you won't be forgiven, but because you'll deal with consequences. Ask Israel how that went for them, right? They were forgiven ultimately, but for 70 years, they dealt with the consequences of their sin. And that's the way they uh, are, uh, they're coming back into that. So they, they would say, listen, don't, don't fall into that trap. Uh, the Lord has uh, brought them back into the land. He has forgiven them and he has taken away uh, his wrath. And see, that's the thing about being forgiven is that God's wrath has been removed uh, we've been forgiven uh, because God paid the price for our sin. We've been pardoned because Christ was punished. Sometimes we forget that the wages of sin is death. And we thank you, oh Lord, we think, Lord, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much for forgiving me. But God didn't just turn a blind eye to our sin. He poured out his wrath upon the person of Jesus that we might go free. Our debt has been settled the punishment has been paid for. When Jesus on the cross cried out, it is finished, te telestai, man, that is a, an accounting term. It means paid in full. 
Your debt has been paid. And because our debt was paid on the cross, that's how our sin can be forgiven. That's why the Bible tells us that our sin has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west, sewn into a bag, thrown into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. Man, I'm glad about that. I don't know about you guys, but that is, that is really good news. Uh, and so Jesus became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so I just want to appeal to you guys this morning, if you're in this place and you're dealing with the, the shame of sin and the burden of sin, if you've been packing your... And allow the Lord to forgive you of that sin. Walk in favor. Walk in freedom. Walk in forgiveness. It's available if you're willing to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Uh, and so I really want to encourage you. Sin is a weighty thing. Man, walk in the forgiveness that is uh, available. Verse 4. Now, verse 4 takes a little bit of a turn. Uh, verse 4 says, Restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you uh, prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. So it's kind of like this schizophrenic moment. Like the, the psalmist is like, oh, thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us and you've given us freedom and that you've forgiven us of our sins. And then all of a sudden, verse 4 starts out, Lord, are you going to be angry with us forever? Remove this burden from us. And you say, oh, wait a second, what's going on? I thought they were forgiven and they were restored unto the Lord. And now they're asking for restoration and revival. So what gives? What's going on? They're forgiven. They've been set free from the captivity of Babylon. But when they came rolling back into the promised land, what did they find? They didn't find their beds all made with crisp white sheets, you know, uh, the, the toilet paper all folded up perfect, like when you go into an Airbnb, everything's just right. No, when they, they got home, their homes were annihilated still. The walls of the city were in ruins. The temple was gone. Uh, the enemies were still present and jealous. Many people didn't want to return home from Babylon to restore Jerusalem. So although they were home, there was still a lot of restoration to do, and they remembered, man, God's goodness. That's the whole uh, plea, is they remembered, Lord, you delivered us, you forgave us, now restore us. You see, there's that thing with sin. Man, we can walk in sin, and we can turn to the Lord for forgiveness, and you're forgiven right then, right there. You're bound for glory, you're bound for heaven, you're pardoned. That's, sin's not counted against you at all. But there's a difference between forgiveness and consequence. And sometimes we're forgiven, but we're still dealing with the consequences of our past. That's a process. Sometimes, man, the Lord supernaturally, he restores the years the locusts have eaten. And I'm so grateful for those times in my life. But sometimes we have, there's just this process of restoration that takes place, whereby we trust the Lord and walk through it. He's with us, but we got to walk through it. And that's where uh, Israel was. They were home, but they had to walk through that restoration process, and they so missed the Lord. So, Lord, we just want to be restored like things were in uh, before we went to Babylon, when we could worship you and your presence was here and things were right and as they were. There was that closeness and that connection. See, back then they relied on the temple for God's presence, and the temple wasn't there, so it was this missing thing. Uh, but this idea of restoration they were familiar with because Ezekiel had prophesied to them. That, hey, listen, there was this whole prophecy of the dry bones. Remember when the Lord showed up to Ezekiel 
and in the spirit took him out to this arid desert and showed him the valley was littered with dry bones. And the Lord told Ezekiel, hey, prophesy over those bones. And he did. And the bones, this says the sinews and the muscles connected to him, all the, the skeletons stood up and he breathed life into them and there was life. And Ezekiel uh, proclaimed to the children of Israel because God told me, he said, that's what God wants to do with you. He wants to take what was dead and breathe life back into it. To revive, that's what it means to revive. We throw the word revival around all the time. Oh, wait, we want revival, we want revival, we want revival. I would love revival, but do you know what revival means? What does it mean to revive something? It means to take something that was dead and breathe life into it. Wouldn't that be great? And the Lord does that to us spiritually when we're born again. Boy, he makes us alive. We're born again in the, the spirit. But as we walk with the Lord over the years, boy, sometimes we have this tendency to kind of get crusty to get callous, to get kind of comatose, to become indifferent. And our walk with the Lord, if we're not careful, can slowly but surely die. And that's what we mean in our modern vernacular, man. We want a revival. We want to be on fire for the Lord like we once were, like when we were once saved. And you know what they say, if you want to see revival, draw a 10-foot circle around yourself and start there. And let that spread outward. But the nation of Israel just, they longed for that time when things were right and that's what they're crying out to the Lord. Lord, would you just uh, revive us? They remembered the prophecy of Ezekiel, and they just wanted to be in that place. Verse 8, I will hear what, what God the Lord would speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory uh, may dwell in our land. And so the psalmist here says, Lord, I I've cried out to you, I've thanked you, I've made my petition to you, and now I'm going to hear you. Lord, let me hear you. That is so important. That's so key as we walk with the Lord is to just hear the Lord. So often I go on prayer walks with the Lord, and I'm just, I'm just talking. And, and I picture the Lord like, and, and, and just trying to like, you know, speak truth and peace into my life, but I just won't shut up. And I think sometimes it's so good for us to just like listen to the Lord also. Listen, look, I've prayed and now Lord, let me hear. I'm going to be still and know that you are God. I think in our fast paced uh, culture, we overlook the being still and just, just hearing from the Lord as we read his scriptures and walk and, and listen. Now, God's not impatient. He's not like, would you just shut up and let me talk? No, he loves it when we come to him. Uh, but it's good for us to listen. And so the psalmist says, Lord, I'm going to listen. And then the psalmist says, uh, you know, we're going to obey. We're not going to turn back to those former things, which is really important. They've been delivered. The Lord has showed them favor. He's given them freedom and forgiveness. Boy, they're longing for that restoration, that closeness with the Lord so they've prayed, they're listening, and then the psalmist says, I'm not going to go back. And that's so key, because there are these sins that easily beset us. There's a sin that trips you up, there's a sin that trips you up, there's a sin that trips me up. And our tendency can be to just wrestle with that sin over and over, to keep going back to that same sin, even though we know it brings devastation to our lives. Proverbs talks about that and says that it's like a dog returning to his vomit. That's so disgusting. I mean, you guys have dogs? Dogs eat the grossest things. 
But I, I mean, yeah, you know, you all see towards, yeah, it's disgusting. I won't even talk about it. But the Bible is clear. It's like when you do that, it's like when you see your dog go hork down his own vomit and then throw it back, you're just like, come on. Why would you do that? I love that the Bible is just real and it's just graphic. Like when you return to your sin, it's like eating puke. Who wants to eat their own puke? Nobody. So the next time you want to return to that same sin, think about that. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that or not. But the psalmist says here, man, I'm not going to return to that folly. And that's very easy to say. It's very easy to sit here and joke about, isn't it? Well, I'm not going to return to that thing that trips me up. But in reality, uh, it's a very hard thing to wrestle with. So how is it that we don't return to that folly again? How is it that we don't return to that same sin that easily besets us? Do we go toe-to-toe with sin? Do we say, I'm not going to do that and I'm resolved to not do it? Not necessarily. It's good to be resolved and to purpose in your heart to not sin against the Lord like Daniel did. But I think the key is to keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. To look to the Lord. To spend time with the Lord. And the more time you spend with the Lord, the less sin draws us away from him. It's a strange thing. In the light of his glory and grace, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That old hymn is so true. Uh, but don't return to the folly um, because it's, it's foolish. And the, the psalmist, he, he uh, spells that out for us. And that's a good reminder, especially when we're looking for revival. Don't hinder the Holy Spirit when you want to be close to the Lord. Verse 10, and we'll close out here with these last few verses. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. And so, uh, mercy and truth come together here. And these last few verses really point to Jesus. They really point to Calvary. They really point to the work of the cross. Because you think of mercy and truth, you think, you know, those things would be, uh, you know, against each other, pitted against each other. That mercy would look to pardon. But truth requires justice. Right? So it's like, how can those two things coexist? Mercy and truth. They exist on the cross because God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus for my sake. Because Jesus paid the price. And there's mercy. Man, I can be pardoned. But the truth, the need for justice, it's been satisfied. Justice and mercy, they meet upon uh, the cross. Also, uh, righteousness and peace, they, they kiss. Gotta love that Hebrew poetry. Uh, righteousness and peace, they, they kiss. And again, it seems like righteous, righteousness would condemn me and prevent me from experiencing God's peace. Righteousness, again, requires justice. But it's on the cross that, that righteousness uh, took place. Jesus was righteous and he paid the price for my sin that I might be made righteousness. Just like it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Uh, and so we get this beautiful glimpse of the work uh, of the cross. Only Jesus, uh, in Jesus, can uh, mercy and truth become friends and righteousness and peace exist together. Um, it, it really is a beautiful thing. Uh, and then this last phrase, 
that um, we would really follow in his footsteps, that righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Uh, that, that, that following in the Lord, that his footsteps would be our pathway. Uh, a few years ago, it wasn't this Christmas, it was the Christmas before last, man, it was a good snow. And I tell you what, I love the snow. I really do. In the wintertime, pretty much every day, I'm like, Lord, would you just bring a snowstorm? Would it snow three feet? And so if you're a person who hates snow, you can just be mad at me. But I, I'm praying for snow because it's just so fun. I love playing in the snow. I love sledding and snowboarding. It's great. Uh, but it was a, a couple years ago when it's, I think it was on Christmas Eve, it snowed a bunch. And we were just going for a walk. And as I'm walking through like a foot of snow, uh, you know, little Abram is with me and, and he's following right in my footsteps so he doesn't have to trudge through the fresh, uh, deep snow. I thought, oh man, what a wonderful picture that is. That, you know, he was following me because he didn't want to get the snow down his boots. And he's not going to cut his own path when I was already blazing a trail before him. But that's what the Lord has done for us. He's blazed a trail. He's our good shepherd. He leads us to where we need to go, to what is good. And, you know, we can wander around outside of that path and we can end up with all sorts of snow in our boots and all sorts of headaches. And, or we can walk after the things that he has for us. And I thought about that, and I thought, boy, isn't that wonderful? As opposed to doing our own thing, uh, we should follow the Lord. What is it that you're following? What is directing you in this life? And are you following your heart, like Disney tells us to do? Just follow your heart. Are you following your emotions? Are you following what's popular or what's politically expedient? Because all those things, they, they, you just end up with snow in your boots, but when we follow the Lord, when we trust the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all of our ways, then he directs our steps. And I like that. And who are you following? It's easy to, to fall into that situation where we're following things uh, that we shouldn't necessarily. And so, man, the psalm, psalm of, of just uh, restoration and, and forgiveness, um, it really is an, an amazing thing. But the victorious Christian life, uh, you know, this idea of being restored and, and walking in forgiveness and walking in all that the Lord has for us. Man, it really is just a series of new beginnings. Uh, you know, we can try to, to do our best to be perfect, but we never will be. That's just the reality. And so I'm so glad that there's forgiveness available for us. It's a sin to disobey the Lord. It is to fall. But it's a sin to stay in that fallen state as well. That we're to return to the Lord when we fall. That's the thing I love about King David. Is that, you know, he blew it. He was a knucklehead, but he didn't stay in that place. He turned to the Lord. He was broken over our, his sin. And we should be broken over our sin new. Because, man, there's a fresh start and a new beginning. Forgiveness is available for us when we're willing to turn to the Lord. And that's what this psalm is all about. It's all about returning to God's uh, will for their life to that place of blessing and restoration and forgiveness. And the word returned or turn is used like six times in the psalm in the original uh, Hebrew. It's a psalm of turning. It's a psalm of returning. And so I always want to encourage you this morning, man, to return to the Lord. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Man, he blew it. He was an idiot. He asked his dad for all of his inheritance, broke his father's heart, went to the city, blew it on all sorts of stuff that he shouldn't have blown it on, and then he was living in the pig pen eating pig food. And that was a sin. He shouldn't have done that. But it would have been a sin for him to stay there. What did he do? 
Well, he returned to the father. And what did the father do? He said, you stop right there. Don't come a step on my property. You're going to receive 30 lashes first, then you're going to repay me back your inheritance, and then we can... No! The father ran. A totally undignified thing for a rich guy to do back in the day. Embraced his son. Slaughtered the fatted calf. Threw a party. See, we get the idea that the Lord is ticked off at us and that we're going to have to grovel back to the Lord. And he's like, well, maybe I'll let you in. Maybe I won't. I don't know. The Lord runs to us with open arms and says, come and experience that restoration that I long to give you. And walk in restoration this morning. Again, if you've been a prodigal, if you've been wandering from the Lord, if there's things in your life that you know are contrary, deal with those things this morning. Purpose in your heart to not sin against the Lord. Confess those sins and be restored. It's this constant thing where you're going to blow it. But then turn to the Lord and ask forgiveness and walk in all that he has uh, for you. And as we come to the table this, this morning, man, we get to do that business. We can go before the Lord and we can confess those things, those areas where uh, we've been prodigal, where we've been distant, where, we, where we've been just staying in that fallen state. And we can walk in all the, the forgiveness that he has for us. And as we come to the table and we take these tangible elements. And the thing is, remember, that when Jesus instituted communion, he said, as often as you do this, remember me. As often as you do what? As often as you have bread and wine. How often do they have bread and wine? Like every day, people get mad at me and say, you guys take communion too often. And I say, man, we don't take communion often enough. Jesus said, do it. Why are we to do it often? Because we need to remember often who we are because of what Jesus has done. We need to remember that's right. Forgiveness is available because Jesus, you died on the cross as we hold the cracker. That's right. My sins are covered, pardoned as we hold the juice. And then as we take those elements in, Tangibly, practically, we can take in those promises again. Super important, super special, and that's why Jesus told us to do it. So as you come today, and remember, man, the beauty of this psalm, the beauty of restoration, that God desires to restore you, to have relationship with you, and he paid the ultimate price to accomplish that. Walk in it this morning. Amen? We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.